Introducing Royal Caribbean's newest ship, Icon of the Seas, the ultimate family vacation. The ultimate six slides, eight neighborhoods, zero compromise vacation. The ultimate never done that, can't wait to do it vacation. The ultimate chillin' by a different pool every day of the week vacation. This is the Icon of Vacations. Icon of the Seas, arriving in 2024. Book today. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry Bahamas. Hello and welcome to Here's Where It Went Wrong, the podcast where every week we have on one of our favorite comedians to talk about one of their favorite things, and we trace its history to find out exactly where it all went off the rails. I'm Windsor Powers. I'm joined as always by my co-host, Andrew Nadeau. Andrew, how you doing, buddy? This was such a fun episode. We had Elsie Howe on, who <laughs> is a Chicago comic you and I both love. We've had her on Spitfire multiple times. She also is one of the producers of Best Night Ever, one of our favorite shows in the city at Lincoln Lodge, and she's smart. She knew her stuff. Way smarter than us. So that's great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Came on to talk about the Olympics and like some really horrific stuff the Olympics have done for where it went wrong. It was a really fun one. This is a really good one. And also, before we get into it, we just want to take a quick second here. Yeah. So I know I've mentioned health issues before in the podcast. That unfortunately has gotten worse lately. It's something I'm working to deal with, but I need to take a step back at the moment from most of my activities when we work on treatment. So we're going to be going on a hiatus here where we figure it out whether or not it's going to be more sporadic episodes mini episodes something this is one of best part of our weeks so we're going to be back <laughs> at some point it's just about figuring out the best way to do it we very much appreciate all of our listeners and our, our patreon supporters it's really meant the world to us so we'll be back we just don't know when or how quite yet but in the meantime we got a whole episode lined up so let's get into it let's go Elsie Howe, thank you so much for coming on today. Thanks for having me, guys. Absolutely. So we've had you on Spitfire. You're now one of the producers of one of my favorite shows in the city for Best Night Ever, which is Tuesdays at Lincoln Lodge with Mike O'Keefe, who we love. He's come on before, did a great episode with us. It's just fantastic. The show's been going great, right? You jumped in with Max Shankar. Oh, I love Max. Yeah, it's a great team. Josh O'Neill was one of the producers and, and he went back to Cincinnati. So you guys stepped in. It's been a fantastic show. It was great before and, and you guys somehow kept it going just as strong. Yeah, no, it's been one of my favorite shows in the city for a while now. When it was at G-Man Tavern, I used to live only like a block away. So if I didn't have anything going on on a Monday, I would just like go hang out with Mike and Sabine and stuff. And then they needed a new poster last winter. So I drew them that and then like that was the first show I did post pandemic I didn't even do a mic I just did that show first and it was such a warm welcome back I mean Mike is just such a good host when Josh was there too he's like one of my favorites in the city when he lived here I'm gonna miss him but yeah big shoes to fill but I'm so it's my favorite thing it's the highlight of my week best night ever it really is it's a fantastic show and also it's a show where they give stuff away which used to be kind of like what they found in their car but you teach art classes so last time I was there you were giving away your paintings. So guys, if you're in Chicago, absolutely go check this out. You have a chance to win by they're having a great or a terrible night and then they hook you up either way. So it, it was a, a very social change from going. And I, I remember like last time I saw Josh just said like, I was at my father's place and he had some CDs yeah. and he did not know what to do with. <laughs> so well, we've kind of every once in a while, it'll be a painting, but the new place I teach paint and subclasses at Pino's Palette on Milwaukee, shout out. They don't like let you keep as the instructor, the painting, because they, they actually like organize them and use that as a master. If they like 
teach the class again and stuff. So it's going to kind of go back to random stuff again, but I have a bunch of good random stuff. Like yesterday I had an extra beach bunny vinyl. So I gave out a record that <laughs> it's big win there. Cause at Spitfire, you just get to watch people get hurt on stage, which is also a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. It's, it is a lot of yeah. fun. <laughs> and you get to try new hot sauce. if you're. <laughs> yeah. It's really exciting for uh, <laughs> all of our comedians that have to estimate how hot they think we think hot is. Cause we try and tell them and I, I, like half the comedians look at me skeptically like okay but like maybe you're a pussy maybe you just think this is hot they're like how jewish are you again yeah they're, like, they're basing it purely on that they're like he has a red beard so i know he can't handle he yeah were you guys fans of spicy stuff before that yeah it, it's something i eat regularly i was never fans of spice like i know people like oh my god i love just drinking new hot sauces like no i enjoy spicy food that tastes good it was never like a challenge thing for me at a certain point where it's like so hot that it just becomes painful it's like well this defeats the point of food (laughs) but i I think we've got a good balance we've got two you know really good sponsors with lucky dog and burns and mccoy who you know give actually good quality hot sauces we actually have something that tastes good thank you guys very much for listening to this Uh, if anyone else go you can buy them both online go order some it's it's fantastic stuff but i mean you know you've done the show it's actually drinking hot sauce is a lot less pleasant than putting it on food yeah (laughs) so best night ever our show you get to watch people drink hot sauce best night ever you you get a chance to to win albums we cover pretty much the range of possible comedy i will say the fact that you agree to this podcast after having done spitfire is amazing because i would assume everyone would hate us after the experience I do like the too that for anyone that is not going to stand up shows, this is their barometer for what stand up shows are. Like <laughs> most shows, you just go and listen to comedians do the jokes they wrote. And our shows is like, no, let's 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 fuck with people a little bit. We're like, no, you're fuck your jokes. We have pizzazz. Yeah, like, definitely. <laughs> I also like the crowd at Spitfire. Last time I did it was so like they were like trying to protect me. Like they like also they cheered for me to like drink the hottest one, but then when I was like pouring it in, they were like, stop. That's enough. Yeah. <laughs> We've not deputized anybody in the crowd to tell you how much hot sauce you should have, but some of them take it very, like you'll see they'll, they'll announce for everyone because before COVID we used to pour the amount out. Now we, we keep it all sealed in the bottles so the comedian can pour itself. But yeah, with certain shows we have someone who's like, clearly they're watching closely and they want to let you know when the amount they've decided that is correct for everyone has been. Written. My wife dedicates herself as person who tells me that I cannot do the easier hot sauces. <laughs> That was, that was a fun her. one, yeah. <laughs> She's the best. Oh my God, tell her I said hi. I haven't seen her in a while. I will. Yeah, she absolutely is. And hopefully we'll see her. This will be out. Okay, so it's my birthday on the 24th, which is also Spitfire. So guys, if you're listening to this, you're in Chicago, please come out Lincoln Lodge to see Spitfire. It's a birthday request now, so you kind of have to. Oh my God, it's my birthday on Monday. Okay, well, great. And guys, it's also Elsie's birthday on Monday. So go ahead and come out to Spitfire on the 24th. And best night ever. We're rebranding for the week as best night, Elsie. <laughs> <laughs> this is coming out the day after your birthday, but it's coming out on Tuesday. So if it's Tuesday, guys, and you're listening to this early, go check out Best Night Ever. Look, we're booking your week for you. You don't have to think about anything. You're welcome. Yeah. <laughs> but for today, you had a topic you wanted to talk about the Olympics, yeah. which I thought was great. We got to cover it a bit before because we talked about wrestling with Brandon Scott Wolf. In that episode, we had to cover a bit of how that developed. Then with Eden Granger, we had a running episode where we covered the 1904 marathon, which you know meant the whole history of, of running and, and marathon in the Olympics. So this one, we want to give you a bit about how they started and then get into to some of how it redeveloped after, you know, 2000 years of being gone for a while. But also currently Winter Olympics are on. So this was perfect timing for this. Are you guys watching this at all? Typically, I am a huge Olympics guy. I will watch the Parade of Nations in all, just going like, 
Wow, the beauty of sports. This is incredible. Look at the whole world coming together for this. But I feel like since like the past few Olympics, I'm just like the veil has been lifted from my eyes. And I'm just like, <laughs> fuck this. I mean, I'm going to watch it like as entertainment, but I, I don't do it with awe and wonderment. I just do it like it's fun when they snowboard. Yeah. <laughs> and like, that's like my limit. Like, I don't have any like wide eyed optimism about the whole thing. I'm just like seeing people do cool flips and stuff. And that's where I kind of like have my cutoff now. And the other, I mean, I, I completely agree with that. The other thing too, that my girlfriend who's an immigrant had, had pointed out is that all of the countries that America has tension with, they will cut away from them oh when God. they're coming in to announce them. Like they present it as this is a unity thing. But when we're dealing with Russia or the Middle East, they won't announce people or the cameras will cut away. It's the most like seventh grade, passive aggressive, bitchy way to handle. Yeah, I was going to say that's very passive aggressive. Yeah. Passive political tensions. But being like, are this is the exact opposite of the entire thing. So you tell me watch it now. She's like, okay, see, that's that they did it there. They And it's like, you think it's a coincidence except they do it every single time for the countries that they don't like. Yeah. Another thing is, I feel like this year, it's just kind of hard to watch. Like it's on Peacock or like, if you don't have cable, I feel like it's kind of hard to watch. And also I think NBC, don't quote me on this verbatim, but they've like banned Leslie Jones from tweeting about the Olympics or t- giving commentary because she works for a different network or something like that. I heard, I love Leslie Jones too. I heard her say something about, you know, not doing it. And I don't know the the cause behind it, but whatever it is, I blame whoever got in her way because she was doing such a fantastic job. And yeah, you're right. Like this is weird. Streaming services have, have issues for a lot of reasons, but I feel like they didn't really consider what do you do for like these major events because you know you can get massive audience for the Olympics but nobody's buying Peacock to watch the Olympics it's ridiculous I got Peacock to watch the Super Bowl so I guess I can't talk a lot of shit I paid money to watch the Super Bowl on Peacock so like I'm part of the problem like NBC knows they have like one guaranteed sucker and it's fucking me <laughs> okay but you like got like the month subscription I assume right like you're not locked in forever no now they're banking on me being too stupid to cancel it and lucky them like great business model I might be too stupid to cancel it. <laughs> it works. When I have to cancel something, I set a reminder on the calendar on my phone and I set it to go off every day for infinity until I cancel it <laughs> because I have done so many times. Andrew, I think Quibi might still be charging me. I don't know. <laughs> like they're closed, but like they're like, he's not giving, like he's still sending us money. He hasn't noticed. Don't tell him. Also guys, go check out our Quibi episode with Moses. <laughs> like we, we have everything covered, uh, but we also want to get a bit into uh, the history here because when did some killer research so when uh tell us about how like the olympics started yeah i'm the smart one in this episode love it <laughs> so the ancient olympics so there's two eras of the olympics and let's basically start from the very very beginning so the ancient olympics were religious and athletic festivals held every four years at the sanctuary of zeus in olympia Greece. Obviously, that's where the name comes from. And the competition was among representatives of several city-states and kingdoms of ancient Greece. And they were mainly athletic, but also combat sports such as wrestling and horse and chariot racing events were also included. It was widely written that during the games that all conflicts among the participating city-states were postponed until they were done, and that all hostilities had to cease or be part of a truce. This was a lie. Uh, This was not actually the case. The only 
real agreement was like athletes would be allowed to go to the Olympics without getting murdered by state officials. Right. Like you guys are, are at war. Everyone else is still going to be like a little bitch about it. Nobody's going to suddenly be cool with the guys they've been fighting. Also, like in the Olympics, as, as you mentioned, originally it was just running and then they add in wrestling. And this is like you're going to watch guys for like maybe 20 minutes. Like they don't have cameras going around to show you the entire thing. That is a big commitment to cease warring to like hang out and watch a guy jog for a bit. It's you know they're not gonna get that into it. <laughs> yeah, what is this? Christmas in World War One? Like grow the fuck up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what is this? Christmas at my house once a year? <laughs> do they agree to stop fighting or do they keep fighting, but they allowed you to go to like the refrigerator without getting ambushed? Because that would be the ancient Olympics. <laughs> yeah, I actually don't know what metaphor I'm going for there, but something like that. <laughs> I also each one of these episodes I listen and try and, and find the part that I hope some one of our listeners is going to look for the opportunity to sneak into conversation. Like the, one of the things that they feel like makes them look really smart. And I feel like that we hit that right away with Olympics being named after Olympia where they held. Like, I feel like this is the thing that most people know, but people that don't feel like it's something that nobody knows. I'm just excited for tomorrow. Andrew, I thought for sure that you would use the fact that like, actually they didn't stop fighting. They just allowed you to travel. I thought that was going to be your like smart assy like thing. I am so supportive here. I don't know why I'm the smart assy one here. No, no. I'm saying they would be the smart-assy ones. Oh, You're just identifying what would be the smart-assy thing to say. I got it. Okay. But I say you identified it wrong, so now I'm the smart-ass. Well, either way, uh, listeners, we're providing you a service here. So what happened next? <laughs> okay. So the origin of the games are not actually quite known. One of the most popular myths identifies Heracles and his father Zeus as the originators of the game. Basically, when Heracles finished his labors, he then built a stadium in honor of his father, which the Olympics were then held in. But I honestly think there was just some guys just being like, hey, we got a stadium here. We should uh, we should fight each other there. Also, like the idea of like, cool, Hercules finishes his 12 labors. He's just going to go build a stadium now. Like this wasn't the most exhausting, harrowing, emotional experience that anyone has ever gone through. After this, he's like, you know what I should do is maybe set up a place where some guys can fight for a little bit. You know why he did those labors, Andrew? It was killing his wife, right? Yeah, it's penance for murdering his wife. Why would he celebrate that by building a stadium like he should be like visiting her grave and being like sorry yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that is the appropriate response when you kill your wife i mean it just wasn't his fault right but that's another episode we should do a greek mess episode okay if we want to get into the details his dad's wife Hera that was mad that Zeus cheated on her so he gave him a shirt that was so uncomfortable that it drove him insane <laughs> as it does and he murdered his wife and children and then he had to like shovel stables out of massive horseshit in order to be forgiven and then apparently after all of that he was like you know what I should do I should build a stadium meanwhile his wife is in the underworld just being like dude, you lost the plot of this entirely. <laughs> also, I love that, like, Zeus is turning into a swan to fuck people, like, every week. <laughs> also, like, if you're a god, this should not be your play. Like, your move should be, hey, I'm Zeus. Like, imagine how terrible your personality has to be to be a god and not have that work as a line that you have to go in disguise as a swan. You're not even the same like species as a person. Okay, I know you're all asking it. Here are my top four things Zeus has turned into <laughs> to fuck human women. Number one, <laughs> swan. Number two, a bull. Yeah. <laughs> Number three, a glowing ray of light. No. <laughs> <laughs> 
you're gonna have to say way more about glowing light, dude. She was in prison. She was like locked away so that nobody could have sex with her. And Zeus said, challenge accepted and became a ray of light to bang her. That is real. Look it up. Real is in quotations. This is all made up. Number four. Number four is my favorite. Turned himself into woman's husband, showed up, banged her. Real husband showed up immediately after and was like, what's going on here? And he was just like, shrug to the camera, wink, and then disappears in a cloud of smoke like he's like Wiley Coyote running away. I was going to say that one was more fucked up, but if you actually look into the stories of any of these, these are all so much worse they sound with a description. Each one of these is just like the worst fuckboy behavior possible. They're all bad, but those were all real examples. Like, I am not fucking with you. Those are all things Zeus has turned into to have sex with human women. <laughs> so why do you know all those? Like, how do you know so much about this? Podcast. <laughs> no, 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 no. Andrew, Andrew, Elsie, as a lot of children in middle school who did not do kisses on people. <laughs> I just got super into Greek mythology and read every book in the library. I because were you doing kisses in middle school, Andrew? Of course not. No. <laughs> exactly. So you read about Greek mythology. I don't know why those things intersect, but it's like a proven success rate every time. You either didn't do kisses or you were deeply in the closet. And those are the two things that every like big mythology nerd has in their background. Okay, that makes a lot of sense about a lot of people there. Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't doing kisses in middle school, but I was in fucking lame. <laughs> so this is the uh, guy that Hercules is building a stadium for to create the Olympics. Just ultimate Greek douchebag. It's widely accepted that the first Olympics was in 776 BC. This is based on inscriptions found at Olympia, listing the winners of a foot race held every four years starting in that year. The ancient games featured running events, a pentathlon, which did I say that right? A pentathlon? Pentathlon. 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 This is why you normally do the research, Andrew. Yeah. Pentathlon, consisting of a jumping event, discus, javelin throws, a foot race, and wrestling, boxing, pink. I'm not even going to try it. Pencration. It's a good one. Wrestling pencration. <laughs> pencration? Pencration. Okay. Pencration. Pencration was like early MMA. <laughs> okay. That's badass. Pencration. So those were the original events. The Olympics were fundamental for religious importance. They featured sporting events alongside ritual sacrifices honoring both Zeus and Pelops, a divine hero and mythical king of Olympia. Pelops was famous for his chariot racing, and the winners of these events were admired and immortalized in poems and statues. The games were held every four years like they are now, and this period, known as the Olympiad, was used by Greeks as one of their units of time measurement. So every four years was referred to as an Olympiad. The games were part of a cycle known as the Penhellenic Games, which included the Pythian Games, the Nemean Games, and the Isthmian Games. I think an important thing here, too, is how absurdly respected athletes were in this time period. Like, I mean, th this was the time period when they're removing stones from the walls so they don't have to walk through the same entrances as regular people. So this, despite the fact that it's like, okay, four years when it gets people together, do a few things. This was your chance to see, I mean, th these were the closest they were getting to when you believe the Greek gods are real. These are the guys who are the closest to them. It's very exciting for everyone. So it's a huge deal. But then also it's just kind of like running around a stadium for a little bit. <laughs> if you want to know how important sports were 
refer to these people. They were like, one of our god men killed his wife had to do penance for it, and the first thing he did afterwards was build the stadium for us to do sports in. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, now that the wife's gone, I'm kicking. Yeah. <laughs> Just gonna hang out with the boys, do some Picathrian. Picathrian? And creation. <laughs> yeah, I love when I get to do a pentathlon with my dad. So while there is no scholarly consensus on when the games officially ended, the most commonly believed date is 393 AD, when Emperor Theodosius decreed that all pagan cults and practices be eliminated, which like is crazy to me that that included the Olympics. Like I know it was a religious festival, but like, could you imagine just like no more Olympics? You're doing too much religious shit. You can no longer do wrestling on each other. (laughs) I mean, this was about the start of when Christianity was at its most bitchy, like 400, 500. And then it's kind of ramps up and then like nine to 1100, it goes up again. And then like, obviously 15, 1600, they just go fucking nuts for hating everyone who's not, there's very specific Christian. So yeah, this, this was the time when it's like, guys, we've got to cut out anything remotely cool. We want them coming to our super lame religion that doesn't let them have any fun. Okay. Honestly though, you could be talking about right now. Yeah. <laughs> like they found Facebook groups and stuff. And I don't know, a lot of that reigns true today. Oh yeah. This is not off brand by any means. But they- <laughs> They were way more bitchy back then. Yeah. Why did they do the typical Christian thing where they take the super cool thing like the Olympics and then they're just like, but now we're going to add Jesus to it, which like is normally their MO. Right. They did it with Christmas. They did it with Easter. They do it with so many popular songs by ruining them and making them Jesus songs. Why didn't they just take the Olympics and then just be like, by the way, you're doing this for Christ. And they'll be like, who? And they're like, just go wrestle. It's fine. (laughs) That would surprise me too. That really felt like the kind of thing that they would love to take over and, you know, then just kind of ruin a little bit. It would be so on brand. This is like the one time Christianity really blew it. (laughs) The one time, that's the one time that, you know, the children's crusades were a thing, right, Andrew? Smooth sailing from there. We just want to paper mache over everything else. Other than that, smooth sailing. (laughs) You know how many podcast episodes we could have to delete from our archives if we just say that Christianity (laughs) only fucked up this one time, Andrew? Because it's like half. Easily half. Look, a large part of history, if you're covering the Western world, is just talking about when something was really cool and then Christianity made it suck. That is basically all of history. Well, remember when Christmas was like a drinking, fucking, and fighting holiday, and then we turned it into Christmas? Like, come on. Yeah, guys, go check that one out. Angel Garcia episode. We talk about when Christmas was ruined. So after that, there were several attempts to kind of bring back the Olympics. So various uses of the term Olympic to describe athletic events in modern era have been documented since the 17th century. The first such event was the Costwold Games, or Coswold Olympic, but spelled really dumb, O-L-I-M-P-I-C-K games. Stupid. You're an idiot, Coswold. I hope your family line like lasted, and I hope your ancestor is listening to this podcast and feels shame. <laughs> the first organized Olympic game was by a lawyer named Robert Dover between 1612 and 1642, with several later celebrations leading up to the present day. The British Olympic Association and its bid for the 2012 Olympic Games in London mentioned these as the first stirrings of Britain's Olympic beginnings. Another version was Olympia della Repubblica, which I'm going to say that I did that spot on. Fuck yes. I'm very content with that one. That was <laughs> 
was really good Italian. Damn it. <laughs> Elsie is giving you absolutely nothing here. <laughs> Andrew always lies to me. I lied just not well. Yeah. <laughs> you should have said like, great job, Win," and then just like kind of giggled at the end. So we all knew. Yeah. <laughs> so this was a National Olympic Festival held annually from 1796 to 1798 in revolutionary France. It also attempted to emulate the ancient Olympic Games. The competition included several disciplines from ancient Greek Olympics. The 1796 Games also marked the introduction of the metric system into sport. So pretty important Olympics, I would say. (laughs) It is. So we also have to remember that in this time period, so this is right after the French Revolution. So they were currently using different units of measurement up until the French Revolution, using a scale of 12 instead of 10, referring to money. So they had different forms of counting, depending on what you were applying it to. And then they were like, this is not working for anybody. Let's just do metric. So this was actually a big thing that that they're trying to apply it here and nationalize it and internationalize it. And it worked. We still do it, except not here, baby. Baby, USA, USA. Everyone but America. Greatest country in the world. Yeah. In 1850, an Olympian class was started by William Penny Brooks at Much Winlock in Shropshire, England. And you couldn't get more British than that. <laughs> In 1859, Brooks changed the name to the Windlock Olympian Games. This annual sports festival continues to this day. The Windlock Olympian Society was founded by Brooks in November 15th of 1860. No jokes for that. Just fun that there's one called Windlock and my name's Win. It's a dumb childlike part of my brain that like sees my name and other things. I'm like, it's me. Yeah. My last name is literally How, and every time I'm like, that's your girl. That's the one. Look, Andrew, you're really fucking up the vibe that Win and How are doing in this episode right now. Where's your question name? I, <laughs> so Nadeau, N-A-D-E-A-U. I have the annoyance because nobody pronounces it Nadeau. Everyone pronounces it Nadeau. So I have the annoyance every time I see a word that has E-A-U where people are confidently pronouncing it as O, but for some reason cannot do it with my name. That's my, you know, bureau, chateau, plateau. It's all over, but Nadeau, nobody gets. I used to live on Berto Street in Chicago and I would always go Bertois. I've never heard anybody else say it out loud. No idea. That's a perfect example of how you were part of my problem. (laughs) Now you know. Now you know that Andrew has secretly held a grudge against you for the longest time. This is just an airing of grievances podcast. You've been tricked. This is where I went wrong. (laughs) So between 1862 and 1867, Liverpool held an annual Grand Olympic Festival devised by John Holy and Charles Melly. These games were the first to be wholly amateur in nature and international in outlook, although only gentlemen amateurs could compete. Bullshit. Which, I mean, the quotes around this are just so heavy where it's you know these were very specific it's like old rich white guys we're not old because they have to be athletes young rich white guys who are the the kids of a very long line of old rich white guys i like that that to be gentlemen wait so i'm assuming that all the other ones also didn't allow women too right or was it just this i got to assume that that's the case based on time periods yeah (laughs) No, I, I've never seen anything about them introducing women's events until like early 1900s, I think. So actually the first program for the first modern Olympiad in Athens in 1896 pretty much just copied the format of these Liverpool Olympics, which is fun. Just <laughs> absolute ripoff because Greece had been trying to get this going for a while, right? They wanted to bring back Greek pride over this big accomplishment. So they finally 
you know, get the funds together to recreate the Olympics and then say, let's just do what that guy did. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. And the Greeks were very interested in reviving the Olympic Games. And this began back with the Greek War of Independence from the Ottoman Empire in 1821. So since then, they were trying to reestablish their identity as these are ours. We are Greek. We are the best in the world. We will take on all takers from all over the world, but we'll win because we're Greece. And then these guys were just like, well, cool. We read a book about your thing and now we're doing it and you have to copy it now. Yeah. <laughs> so in 1865, Holly Brooks and E.G. Ravenstein founded the National Olympian Association in Liverpool, a forerunner of the British Olympic Association. Its articles of foundation provided the framework for the International Olympic Charter. And in 1866, a National Olympic Games in Great Britain was organized at London's Crystal Palace. So this is like the beginning of like the big, like we're, we're really getting into the actual Olympics now. So Evangelo Zappa a wealthy Greek-Romanian philanthropist wrote to King Otto in Greece in 1856, offering to fund a permanent revival of the Olympic Games. Zappa sponsored the first Olympic Games in 1859, which was held in Athens City Square, and athletes participated from Greece and the Ottoman Empire. Zappa funded the restoration of the ancient Panathenaic Stadium, so it could be the host of all the future Olympic Games, which it was in 1870 and 1875, and 30,000 spectators attended that the games in 1870, though no official records exist for the 1875 one. That is really an incredible number to get in one place when, like, you can't send out an email blast, obviously. I can't tweet about this. You got pure word of mouth going at this point because most people can't read. Right. <laughs> That's a really good point. And you're trying to tell them on this, like, brand new thing. Like, no, guys, it's, it's really cool. It was super popular 2,500 years ago. You're going to love it. Actually, this is 1890. Probably a lot of them could read. I <laughs> <laughs> joke, baby. So, in 1890, after attending the Olympian Games at the Winlock Olympian Society, Baron Pierre de Colbertin uh, was inspired to found the International Olympic Committee, the IOC, probably the bane of most people who are in this world's existence. And it was built on the ideas that were brought by Brooks and Zappas with the aim of establishing internationally rotating Olympic Games that would occur every four years. So we're really into the Olympics now. He presented these ideas during the first Olympic Congress of the newly created IOC. This meeting was held from June 16th to the 23rd in 1894 at the University of Paris. And on the last day of the Congress, it was decided that the first Olympic Games to come under the IOC would take place in Athens in 1896. I was glad that Greece locked this down. They worked hard for this. I was glad that they actually got to like bring it home and have this be the first official one, even though like, yeah, we already started this like 25 years ago by ripping off the guy who did it like 100 years ago. We got this. Yes. Exactly. So the first games were held in that Panathenaic Stadium in Athens in 1896. And the games brought together 14 nations and 241 athletes who competed in 43 different events. That is impressive for first games. That's that's a lot of events. Exactly. So Zappis and his cousin actually left the Greek government a trust to fund the future Olympic Games. And this trust was used to help finance those 1896 games. So this guy really fucking wanted the Olympics like this guy's whole life goal like he <laughs> obviously used all of his money 
to make a stadium and then fund the games. Like, that's fucking wild that he just gave the government the money to do that. And he didn't even have to kill his wife to do it. No, he's, he's a better Hercules. <laughs> also, like, I get, like, this was for a good cause, but the idea of, like, I'm going to die, I'm super rich, I'm leaving my money to the government, it's grating as a concept. <laughs> like, there's no way to feel like, oh, yeah, the government's definitely going to use all of this to create the Olympics. Like, you know a good 75% of that went to, like, building a new governor's mansion. It was most likely the IOC in true IOC fashion going, thanks for the money. Yeah. And then, like, putting immediately into their own bank accounts. Right. Like, <laughs> either way, the Olympics got started, but mostly because now, right, Olympic committee members were now rich enough to quit work and just do this full time. Exactly. So the Greek government also provided funding, which was expected to be recouped through ticket sales and from the sale of the first Olympic commemorative stamp set. I love that this was a time period when people were like, fuck yeah, stamps. This is how we're going to make our money. <laughs> Hell yeah, dude. So Greek officials and the public were enthusiastic about the experience of hosting the Olympic Games. This was shared by the athletes who demanded that Athens be the permanent Olympic host city. The IOC intended for following games to be rotated to various host cities around the world, and the second Olympics were held in Paris. So after the success of those 1896 games, the Olympics entered a period of stagnation which kind of threatened the survival. The Olympic Games held at the Paris Exposition 1900 and the Louisiana Purchase Exposition at St. Louis in 1904 failed to attract much participation or notice from other countries. So this is where they're trying to tie Olympics into their World Fair, essentially. Exactly. And... <laughs> People are like, no, we want to go see the new Ferris wheel. We don't really care about the running guy. Hey, the Ferris wheel was the Chicago. It was a cool Ferris wheel. It worked. Yeah. It, was, it was a good Ferris wheel. I'm just saying it wasn't St. Louis. Come on, Andrew. Let us keep our pride of having <laughs> had the first Ferris wheel, okay? Right. <laughs> Wait, was 1904 Chicago? No, 1904 was St. Louis. No, okay. All right, then we're going to cut the part out where I was wrong. Okay. Uh, <laughs> but basically, like, they were nothing. Like, once they moved out of Greece, everyone was like what's the point that's not the olympics so like it didn't really attract a lot of things and also if you listen to our running episode that 1904 olympics was the one where the marathoner won because he got into a taxi and drove to the finish line it's also <laughs> one where like a bunch of people had to drop out because they almost died and they were doing medical experiments on them about how much they could withhold water without someone dying <laughs> it was a really fucked up race and one of my favorite episodes eden dranger guys go go listen to that one yeah of the 650 athletes at the 1904 Olympics, 580 were American. <laughs> This feels like when a bunch of friends want to get together and don't really have a reason for it. So they're like, no, we're going to call this like a reunion event. It's just a bunch of Americans hanging out and they invited some other guys. In. Well, it's kind of like how it's like always called the World Series and it's like, come on, it's just American. <laughs> There's a Canadian team. A Canadian team can win it all. You call it the North American Series. <laughs> <laughs> So I just got to say, like, if only like 70 of your athletes are coming from other countries, maybe just say it wasn't the Olympics that year. Yeah, I mean, this is what, like 12 percent, 12 percent of the Olympians were not American. <laughs> so this also was the beginning of the Winter Olympics. The Winter Olympics were created to feature snow and ice sports that were logistically impossible to hold during the summer games. So figure skating came about in 1908 and 1920, and ice hockey was introduced in 1920 as well. And these were featured as Olympic events in the Summer Olympics up till this point. The IOC desired to expand the list of sports to encompass other winter activities. At the 1921 Olympics, 
Olympic Congress in Lausanne. It was decided to hold a winter version of the Olympic Games. A winter sports week, uh, it was actually 11 days, was held in 1924 in France in connection with the Paris Games held three months later. This event it was retroactively referred to as the first official Winter Olympics. And guys, you can learn more about this in our Ashley Ray episode where we cover the history of skating. The Olympics comes up a lot. It feels like we might have too many episodes. Yeah. <laughs> we should wrap this up. Yeah. <laughs> so although it was intended that the same country would host both the Winter and Summer Olympics in a given year, this was quickly abandoned. The IOC mandated that the Winter Games be celebrated every four years the same as their summer counterparts. And this tradition was upheld through the 1992 Games in Albertville, France. After that, beginning with the 1994 Games, the Winter Olympics were held every four years, two years after the Summer Olympics. Which just feels like better branding to begin with. Exactly. You got to spread it apart. <laughs> you can't just yeah. have it be every four years. We now know that with Batman movies and Spider-Man movies. People don't want to wait four years. They need them now. <laughs> they need their Spider-Man content right now. Yeah. And Batman as well. We have nine Batman. You know why? Because we are not satisfied with just having one Batman every four years. <laughs> we need a new Batman every year until the sun explodes. We have nine. Nine Batman? Okay, quick thing. Currently, we have three Batman. We have Robert Pattinson, Ben Affleck, and Michael Keaton is coming back. I won't go on another win-inspired Michael Keaton rant. They're classic. Elsie, just so you know, I have a thing with Michael Keaton. He's come up way too many times. I feel like we're going to end up with Michael Keaton again. <laughs> on this podcast, is a bad thing or a good thing? It's a great thing. Oh, it's a great thing. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a Keaton fan, but I will not do another. Uh, the, these rants are coming too close together. So those are our three Batman right now. And I'm just saying that's a lot of Batman. Batman, and we're using the Olympic method with Batman, is what I'm trying to say. That's what this rant was getting at, and I think it collapsed halfway through my rant. It's a great point. So, I was just going to ask if kids who didn't kiss in middle school also knew about all the bad Elsie, <laughs> that was the given. That was the gi- that was like the first, like Star Wars, Batman, and Greek mythology are all things that I did rather than do sweet, sweet kisses <laughs> on a girl. Okay? I just learned about Batman. I, I learned that Hercules <laughs> He's killed his wife, and I just read a lot of Star Wars shit, and I went on no dates. <laughs> You're right, though, that, like, mine was, like, mythology, math, and Shakespeare. But no matter what, mythology has to be one of them. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Mythology is always one of them. <laughs> Mythology is always going to be part of it. So the Summer Olympics have grown from 241 participants representing 14 nations in 1896 to more than 11,200 competitors representing 207 nations as of 2016. The scope and scale of the Winter Olympics is smaller. For example, the Pyeongchang Olympics hosted 2,922 athletes from 92 nations in 2018. So significantly smaller than the Summer Olympics. I get it. It's cold. People don't want to travel, but <laughs> this feels like it's weird. I never feel like the winter Olympics get the same, not just same amount, but the same kind of hype, like summer Olympics. They are loving throwing in as many games as possible. And winter Olympics, it's like, guys go slide on something. If they're sliding, 
we're going to put it in. There's so many sliding sports. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty much all sliding sports. Like, you can't keep up with them. It's like, who came up with luging? What is that one where there's they're not in a thing and they're laying on each other? It skeleton, all seems so yeah. fake. Yeah. Weird. It's <laughs> a good, yeah, a, a good deal of winter Olympic sports. I feel like someone made it as a prank and then they got picked up and they just had to commit and come up with the rules. Yeah, it's all Calvin ball. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's just so funny to me that they invented a whole like grouping of sports where like the entire basis is you have to slide on ice. Yeah. Like that's their only like thing to separate it from other sports is snow has to be involved in the fact that you have to slide on it. And like, that's, it. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, is the thing that you only get in winter. Like, I understand that as a concept, I guess that's a problem. If it doesn't require snow, they're like, well, fuck it. We can do it in the summer. Yeah. Basketball could be considered a winter sport because like you have to play it inside. It's inside. <laughs> but you have to play it inside to get out of the cold. But they're like, no, that's summer. They're not sliding on ice. So therefore it is a summer sport. I'm <laughs> like, you can expand this so much by just saying these are sports you can't play outside sometimes <laughs> of the year. IOC should take a look at this one. This is a great idea. If we can get IOC to move basketball to a winter Olympic event, I feel like it's really going to help pick it up. It's going to really help ratings and then you should really (laughs) consult me on this. So the last bit before we get into the premise of the entire podcast is that most athletes are housed in the Olympic Village for the duration of the games. This accommodation center is designed to be a self-contained home for all Olympic participants and is furnished with cafeterias, health clinics, and locations for religious expression for all religions. It is also one of the fuck capitals of the world, baby. That's awesome. Oh my God. Yeah. Just, I, I love that the last slide was the <laughs> locations for religious expression because it was like, how many tens of thousands of condoms did they have to give out in like the Olympics right before COVID? Yes. They give out so many condoms at the Olympic Village every year because there have been times where there were STD outbreaks in the Olympic Village. And it makes sense. <laughs> You're fit. You're hot. You are in a different country and you want to, sorry, I'm at work, right? I'm recording this from my work and I'm about to, you know what? I'm just going to say it. And you want to just bone someone down. I get it. It makes sense. That's awesome. (laughs) It's like, to put this in perspective, it was roughly a thousand times as many condoms as I will use in my entire life. I cannot imagine having the stamina if I had all of my life to fill it up to be able to go through as many condoms as they did. Imagine just being hot. Not even in the Olympics, just being hot? Okay. Uh, Brag much? Like, come on. Yeah. What the hell? So, but obviously this is the exact opposite of where it went wrong. Like, good for the Olympians. We had to end on that really good note because now I have to say, Elsie, where did this go wrong? It sounds fun. You fuck and you get medals. What's What could be the problem here? Okay, I feel like there's always, just because of how the world has been, there's always probably been, like, racist aspects to the games but one of the earliest like recorded I guess versions of the games especially when they're practiced in America is the 1904 Olympics which you guys already brought up in St. Louis and you brought up the human experimenting thing which was super messed up but part of the 1904 was that they had a human zoo what with Filipino, African, and Native American people displayed to white people. They were like, I guess you've never seen a Pinoy before. And they like, displayed them to people. I actually 
forgot about that part because they set it up in the most insane way of like they did it as if this was an exhibit like this is like no you're gonna learn you're gonna learn about someone who looks mildly different than you yeah they called them anthropology days and they established in quantitative measure the inferiority of primitive peoples jesus christ it was so fucked up really bad that is that's the i'm sorry i'm no no no, no. we're not just gonna breeze past <laughs> human zoos because here's the thing we've talked about in in our, our episode where we covered like circuses and carnivals. We've discussed at least briefly the aspect of freak shows. And these were willing participants who were outcasts of society. And obviously a lot still went wrong. They were often treated horribly, but it was also the only time when they had a community because they were all outcasts and did something with it. This was just the most blatant, horrific thing where they just grabbed normal people and we're like, we're going to point and say how they're worse than white people with the absolute most raw. Like, this is like phrenology. Eric. Like, look how this guy's skull is slightly smaller than yours. That's why you're smarter than him. And like, it was so fucked up. That's fucking insane. <laughs> that is, I'm sorry. I'm just trying to wrap my head. Like, we can't just breeze past human zoos. I, yeah. I just, <laughs> wow. Well, and it's like, what does that have to do with running? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, part of it was like trying to show that like white European athletes were superior and stuff like that. Which was easy when they're the only ones allowed to compete. Yeah, or like training or knew about it because it seems like these people didn't want to be there, you know? Right. It's why the 1936 Berlin Olympics were baller as hell because Jesse Owens just goes in there he's like, you say white people are fastest? Great, let me show you that that's not true at all. Okay, and brings me to that. So the Nazi party had come to power in 1936. The Germans were using this as like a mass propaganda Tool. The Jesse Owens thing happened, but even beyond that, like Jewish athletes were still banned from the athletic facilities. Oh, like one of us. Yeah. <laughs> um, people argued that the Nazis still putting on the games and people still participating in them humanized the Nazi party a little bit. It did. And it was really fucked up thing because actually, I mean, at that point it was, yeah, it was before the Holocaust. We had better Jewish athletes. <laughs> we had better Jewish everything before the Holocaust. We actually had people that could have competed at this time. But yeah, this was very much helped legitimize and pushed. The thing is, like, obviously, most of the world wasn't pro the full Nazi agenda. But at this point, Nazis was basically promoting casual racism. And the whole world was like, oh, yeah, we'll get behind casual racism. We love that shit. America's over here like, have you heard about our zoo? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, by the way, we don't let black people use the same water fountains. Do you guys like that? Right. <laughs> I gotta say, like, yes, you should never under any circumstances humanize the Nazis. That being said... <laughs> We just had human zoo Olympics, not that much like further in the past, which like seems like what were we going to say? You know, we were doing just as bad. It just helped push them forward because it was basically like the thing where Jimmy Fallon rubbed Trump's head where it was like, we're just all pretending that this is just a cool, whimsical thing. But you're right. It's not like we were better at this stage. It was just when everyone was suddenly surprised that Nazis took it too far. <laughs> hey, guys. Hey, too much. Scale it back. <laughs> like a smidge. Like a smidge. That was honestly basically the response. Like up until Poland, they were like, okay, guys, that's Nazis being Nazis. 
and then Poland. And they're like, whoa, we buy stuff from them. <laughs> hey, we're starting to get some bad feelings about these Nazis. So this was one of the horrific things where it helped legitimize the huge amounts of racism behind this and the Nazi party in general. And also the tradition of the torch being passed is something that Hitler installed himself because before it was just an ongoing torch that would be flame that stayed ignited at the games. And then Hitler was like, what if we did it as a relay and someone lit it before? So that's kind of weird that we still do that tradition when he kind of came up with that. That had to be the dumbest meeting in the world where Hitler's just like, okay, but what if we we pass the torch and the other guy, he runs and he lights and everyone's got to be like, oh, well, great idea, Hitler. And that just suddenly becomes a thing. Good job promoting unity, Hitler. Yeah. <laughs> that would have been such an easy one to cut too. That's like one that we could be like, hey, Hitler started this. We should stop that one because we have multiple other ways of lighting fire since basically the beginning of humanity. We have other options. Well, I don't know. Like, I think it's still kind of a cool thing to do, but it sucks that he's the guy who came up with it. Exactly. <laughs> Can we put a twist on it where it's similar? I don't know. Like, yeah. If I were the head of the Olympic committee and I'm very rich and I'm also being a huge asshole because I'm the head of the Olympic committee, but one day they're just like, hey, uh, why do we still do the torch thing? You know, that was Hitler's idea, right? I hate that I would have to respond with, it was a good idea. He had one good idea. <laughs> it's pretty badass, I gotta say. The guy did two things okay, all right? Now cut it off at these two, okay? <laughs> Carrying the torch across the country and handing it off like a relay, and he painted some mean landscapes. And like, that's it. <laughs> no. Oh my God. I hate that. <laughs> But like even like a small twist, you're right. Like, okay, like just the last guy, he has to moonwalk now. That's it. It's just a little thing. Let's make it our own. No longer Hitler's. Or make sure it's always Jewish people. I would love that. <laughs> Jewish athletes <laughs> who get to do it or something like that. That's much better than my moonwalk idea. Guys, Olympic Committee, we're giving you gold here. Okay, but moonwalking school in general. Kelsey, you and me, we're going places. Actually, bring moonwalking into the winter games and spice it up a little bit more. Because you're sliding on ice. Yeah. That makes it part of the winter. <laughs> God, we are on fire this episode. Full circle, guys. <laughs> do you think it's always winter? on the moon. Huh. I'll write that down to look up. Snowing. Permanent base for Winter Olympics. You want to watch the Olympics? Get out your telescope. Go outside. You can watch it without streaming from Peacock, people. Write this down, Elon Musk. Okay. <laughs> I want to what are we considering the qualifications to make something winter? See, that's what I wrote down. Does it snow? Because does the moon have clouds? It does not snow on the moon. I know for a fact it does not, not. snow on the moon. If I find out it snows on the moon, I'm going Going to shit myself to death. <laughs> no, there's no snow on the moon. Ability to breathe. <laughs> Every now and then on these episodes, Andrew, I find out how dumb I am. And like, I could imagine you just being like, you didn't know it snowed on the moon. And like, <laughs> if, if you and Elsie teamed up, if you like messaged each other in this Zoom, it was just like, just go with it. I would be gaslit so easily. I'm the easiest person in the world to gaslight because I already assume that I'm an idiot who has all the wrong answers. So if y'all just wanted to pull, hey, when it snows on the moon on me, I would be on board within two minutes and I would be telling other people that it snows on the moon with so much confidence that they would start <laughs> questioning it as well. 
I would start looking at the moon and being like, so I just don't see the clouds, huh? <laughs> I just can't see the clouds from here. Oh, because it's so far away. That makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> so part of best night ever is when we give out the prizes, we ask like, who's having a bad day? Who's having a good day? And last night at the show, a girl said she was having a bad day because her ex-boyfriend, these are her words, was gaslighting her into moving to Germany with him. And then I was like, well, what do you mean by, is he just being like, your home doesn't exist? Yeah. <laughs> you don't live in America? <laughs> I think you meant convincing. But I think we've started overusing gaslight. I think gaslight is like one of those words that has now become a catch-all for like things I don't like that someone's doing. Because gaslighting is a very specific thing where you're making someone question their reality. And like, he's not doing that. He's not just being like, no, you currently live in Germany. Not only that, our children are waiting for you there and they miss you. Like, it's not that. It's just like, no, I think you would have fun in Germany. I think you would have a good time. I'm going to give her the benefit of the doubt in that he was pressuring her and being a dick about it. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm betting that he did something skeezy. Enough that, like, she should not move to Germany with him. If you're listening, woman at the show last night, don't move to Germany. None of us trust him. Yeah. So part of it is you get to, like, do a chant. And I preeminently started the chant, don't meet him. And then we <laughs> landed on a real chant, which was America doesn't exist. <laughs> That's amazing. And, like, once again, guys, just so y'all know, this is not an example of gas lamping. You, this is not gas lamping. What are you talking about? It's always been gas lamping. I've never heard gaslight. What did you think it was, Andrew? I hate how effective this would be on me. <laughs> And obviously, guys, more reason to go check out Best Night Ever every Tuesday, because this is what happens. So we're up to Nazis ruining the Olympics. What else happened after this? Okay. also, by the way, I'm pretty much like just reading this article by James Factora, who writes for the publication Them from like August 27th, 2021. So shout out to them who did most of the research for this and compiled (laughs) for me in a really nice way. But okay, so prior to the 1968 Olympics in Mexico City, black track and field competitors Tommy Smith and John Carlos organized the Olympic Project for Human Rights and protested apartheid in South Africa and just general racism in sports. And then they still decided to compete to hopefully bring attention to those issues. And as they stepped onto the platform after the 200 meter race, they wore black gloves, they raised their fists and the national anthem played. And then they were booted from the Olympic Village for just doing that. It's an iconic photo, though. It was and an incredible moment, too, because it's not like they didn't know this was going to happen to them. And they did it anyway, which was just an incredible moment. Yes. The president of the IOC at that time, his name was Avery Brundage. He was the person who prevented the boycott of the 1936 Olympics. There's no point where the head of the IOC didn't suck. They're consistently corrupt. And I know we've talked before about ones who have conspired and stolen money and (laughs) done everything but rig games. I mean, it's messed up. It's like the lowest stake supervillain stuff you could think of. Like if you had a guy who like really, he wanted to be evil, but didn't know how to do it, you become the head of the IOC. On that note, he's quoted as saying, the boys were sent home, but they shouldn't have been there in the first place, even though they literally fucking won. And his name was Avery Brundage, but he was also known as Slavery Avery, which (laughs) I just, okay. But yeah, he's like, as a matter of fact, people of that kind should not be on the Olympic team at all. Jesus. What did they have to do? They literally won the race and you're still like, no. Just the idea of like, they are proving to you they are better than you while you're denouncing them. It's just such a horrific mindset to be able to say something like that. I'm just blown away by the name Slavery Avery. <laughs> is your name 
name rhymes with slavery, you should probably sit down. Yeah. <laughs> you probably should watch it a little bit. Okay. And then at the next Olympics, Vince Matthews and Wayne Collette followed in their footsteps. Rather than actively raising their fists, the athletes ascended the podium and were alternately smiling and expressionist while the national anthem played. One of them removed his medal and twirled it around his finger while he walked off. And the crowd was mad. And Collette raised his fist. Avery Brundage was somehow still the president and he banned them from the Olympic Games for life. They told journalist Sam Skinner that their supposed apathy was indeed a protest against the conditions black people faced and still face in America. He's doing this for like 30 years and people are like, yes, that's the guy we want to continue having in charge. It's not like you have to overturn a national election or something. You guys can depose him at any time, but the entire Olympic committee is like, nope, we're sticking by this mindset. And I think like the Olympics as a metaphor, this thing that's disguised as like unity, but in reality, it's so polarizing. Like when you think about the people who have access to become good athletes, especially in sports like hockey, where you need a lot of like equipment and things like that, the people who rise up from adverse like beginnings and stuff like that to still be i don't know like um only useful if their body still entertains or competes and wins and stuff it's just yeah anywho that's me zooming out a lot i love sports and using sports to talk about like social issues but anywho yeah because it's constantly relevant yeah <laughs> and because you're right you do have two sides you, you have people uh, depending on certain sports ones that are more popular in inner city it's very often people got into it because it was their escape from a tough life and they really earned their way up for most of the olympic sports it's that they had a parent rich enough to get them a trainer when they were three years old and yeah i mean th these are also people's that are often legacies to the best colleges, which obviously, you know, they're not the athlete. They're going to be accepted. They're going to get into the program. Obviously, many of them do deserve that, but there's a huge advantage they're being given here to begin with. And it's still presented as a, anybody can do it. It's just gifted. It's no, it's gifted and also a huge social advantage. In college, I worked at the African-American Cultural Center and my boss, Tawanda Owens, did a dissertation because she was a college athlete and she wrote about how college athletes of color come to the college and basically just get to skim by especially like football players and such and they leave the college with still having the same like reading levels as when they came into it and stuff like that and it's so rare that they get any sort of job after graduation it makes so much money for the school and these kids don't really benefit from it it's a disservice to everyone who attends the school mm -hmm. but it makes the school an absolute fortune absolutely anywho back to the olympics that also sucked yes <laughs> and i think this brings us to like obviously they've sucked until then but this is when I became passionate about hating the Olympics. The Olympics changed policing in Los Angeles forever. Part of it was the police started this, I don't know, set of rules called the Community Resources Against Street Hoodlums, Crash. So C-R-A-S-H. No, whoever came up with that was so proud of that name. That's such bullshit. <laughs> yeah, this is the 1984 Los Angeles Olympics, if we want the timeline. It's 1984, which is like so perfect for us to develop an Orwellian police system because of it. I read that book for the first time last year and I was like, oh, this is where all those terms come from. Holy shit. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, they wanted to clean up gangs and things like that on the streets, but they just ended up displacing a ton of homeless people and things like that. It kind of just gave the police an excuse to use military grade resources. And yeah, it became very brutal. Complaints of police brutality increased 33%. I can imagine they were already 
pretty bad before that. Oh, yeah. And I think this was the period, too, that started the militarization of police around the country. After this, obviously, many more followed. New York has, has been militarized. Basically, every major city has. And L.A. recently, constantly, but again, recently has had huge issues with what they've done to their unhoused population. And they're just constant victims of the police. And there's no attempt even being made to pretend <laughs> that they're there to help. It's we want to make L.A. look prettier for the rich people here. And that's the only goal. Not only that, but the police captain at the time, Billy Wedgworth. So let's say his name. So it, once again, if you're a descendant of this man, I uh, hope you're listening to the podcast. And I hope you just say, fuck you, grandpa. He referred to it as sanitizing the area <laughs> yeah. around the Olympics. Which is such a Nazi racing. <laughs> that's Olympic Nazi tradition. Every measure that they make to clean up these streets, I think are just so counterintuitive to what would actually be helpful. Like, I don't know, even like coming home on the bus the other day from the United Center, like there were homeless people and stuff on the bus. And it's like, if we would just have like a place for these people to go, then they wouldn't have to use public transportation as a last resource. Anyway, just, yeah, like none of this is actually helpful. It's just stupid and terrible. We should do an episode at some point on policing of the unhoused population because it's one of those where we actually have the solutions and we have the money for it going to programs that don't work, but it involves just helping people without saying they're bad for being homeless. And we're unwilling uh, to put the money into any program that actually just helps them. Not only that, but it's like, it didn't only just affect America in 1984, because when the Olympics moved to Seoul, South Korea in 1988, it helped their president, like kind of push more fascism into the country by trying to like take over more and more things. He oversaw the displacement of residents living in that Olympic area. And although part of it was part of a, you know, quote unquote, redevelopment process, in five years preceding the games, 48,000 houses were destroyed, displacing 720,000 people in Seoul. That is an incredible number. Because when countries vie to get the Olympics, it's done with the idea of this is going to raise money for our city and help our population. And it basically always just costs the city and hurts the people that live there. They spend millions or billions on building these stadiums that then have no purpose after that. There's no way to keep up with it. It just hurts the actual citizens of the city. It's this thing that's supposed to bring people together, but like one was saying, like it's more excuse for gentrification, shit like that. It goes even further because not only in order for them to displace all those people, he hired local gangsters as private security forces to intimidate people out of their homes using physical and sexual violence to get this done. Already abandoned homes were demolished to prevent them being reoccupied by the original owners or by vagrants, which created hazardous living conditions for those who still remained in the area. Individuals deemed vagrants, including children, were sent to facilities like the infamous Brothers Home, where they were subjected to enslaved labor and murder. This topic was first chosen, Elsie, and like it was just like the Nazi things. I was like, oh, I guess just the 1936 Olympics. And then I read more and I was like, Jesus, no, this is Nazi all the way down. And then when you come back to America in 1996 for the Atlanta games, they said, we are the city of the civil rights movement. We're going to a progressive games that includes 
includes everybody. And then they did the same shit. Two years after the troubles in Seoul, the Atlanta City Council announced a scheme to redevelop the city's Techwood Homes community to make way for the Olympics. And Techwood was one of the nation's oldest examples of public subsidized housing. But the new replacement townhouses could only house a fraction of the former residents due to partly the substantial reduction of the publicly subsidized options in that area during this quote-unquote redevelopment. The community was shattered, and of the 4,000 people who lived in Techwood, only 78 people were able to return post-Olympics. I mean, like, you know it's going to be low, but the number is so depressingly low. Because what I hate is that they are so good at this. They are so good at just destroying the lives of people to get themselves a little bit of money. Yes. And it's like, all this so we can play a couple games? Fellas, what the heck? It is a cool thing. And it would honestly, it would make sense if you kept it in one city all the time. Because then the, the fact that they build a huge stadium for it makes sense. There is a way for this to be done in reasonable sense. But like the idea of at the moment, all of this is being done in the name of people skiing is so hard to justify. <laughs> if you want to say, you know, it brings in money into the community and is therefore ultimately helpful to the community. I got statistics on that. I got numbers, baby. It doesn't. In 2014, the Winter Olympics in Sochi were the most expensive Olympic Games in history, costing in excess of $50 billion. The idea being that it was going to completely revitalize the area with new housing, stadiums, all these things built. In December 2014, The Guardian stated that Sochi now feels like a ghost town, citing the spread out nature of the stadiums and arenas, the still unfurnished construction that they just gave up on, and the overall effects of Russia's political and economic turmoil because of those games. And then in July 2016, The Guardian went even further, saying that the the biggest threat towards the Olympics is that so few cities want to host them because they've become just a big money pit. And if you just took the money that they didn't make back, let's say they made back some billions, just the money they didn't make back would pay to house all of the unhoused population. Like you could have just taken the money and helped people. And again, it's not like this is done blindly where they think it's going to make money. No, it's just corrupt all the way down. You get to pay off your contractors that you have a connection with that help boost your reelection campaign in your city. It's not like they're idiots about it. It's just that they're able to help a very specific few people that helps them keep power. And because there's a lot of job creation that's being done, but not in a way that helps anybody because this is so temporary and at such a huge cost. Yeah, definitely temporary. And also like, I mean, even in 2020, the fact that they still had an Olympics and nobody wanted it. Even in a pandemic, they still pushed forward. You want to hear one of the darkest things now that we just finished the technically 2021 Olympics? So in the 2020 Tokyo Games, 300 households total were displaced. So we're doing better, I guess. Ironically, though, many of them were the exact same households that were displaced in the 1964 Tokyo Games. That is so fucked up. That, I mean, how do you do that? How do you not learn your... And again, I, I say job creation. I want to point out that this is not like, oh, it's a good thing for the people that have the jobs. No, the job creation means that they can pay off their contractors to rig further things. This is not like anything is being created in a good way. And it's like, yeah, you found a system that worked 30 years ago. Might as well go ahead and screw those same people over again. I remember when I was like first learning that the Olympics was going to be in LA in 2028. Like one of the ways that it was like sold to me was like, they'll make public transportation in LA better. And so then I was like, oh, that makes me excited. Like maybe I'll move to LA because the public transportation will be better. It's only going to be better for the people who need to get 
to the Olympic Games and it's not going to actually help locals. It's going to be, I don't know, just one of those things where if you're staying in a fancy place downtown, you get to go to the fancy place where these athletes are playing. And yeah, it's not going to help anyone in the actual communities. It's basically the equivalent of, <laughs> of we're giving you a private shuttle if you're rich enough, which is yeah the same thing Elon Musk was trying to create with the boring company. We can definitely do an Elon Musk episode, except we have absolutely no redeeming anything. And we run from the start. We'd be murdered. Yeah. <laughs> Forget Taylor Swift fans. These might be the craziest fans in all of fandom. Oh my God. Elon Musk and Joe Rogan. The most hate I ever get is making a joke about one of these two. It's like, guys, they have so much money. They don't need you defending them. <laughs> yeah. They're okay. Same thing where one time I made a joke about him and a friend from high school was like, I just think that we're better for having him on the earth. And I was like, why? Because he goes to space. Like he's not paying his, I don't know. Anyway. <laughs> I had to break the news to somebody that he hasn't invented anything, but just buy companies that have invented things and like it like ruined this guy's day like i was like he's not a scientist he did not invent this electric car he used blood diamond <laughs> money to buy a company that made electric cars anyways we could all go on elon musk but you know what let's instead keep the topic on the olympics so we have all these <laughs> terrible things i think we've covered them pretty well which brings us to our last section in their defense where each of us has to take one minute to try to defend the Olympics. Elsie, you get first crack at it. I will say that as a big basketball fan, I love watching the United States absolutely spank the rest of the fucking world every year. And I think it's dope that they're all hooking up. I mean, I'm not going to have sex with them, so I might as well have sex with each other. That's awesome. If it was just a purely sport kind of thing, you know, I fucking love sports. Elsie, I'm furious because the men's basketball team was going to be the exact thing that I was going to use to defend the Olympics. And then my backup was the fucking in the Olympic Village. And you did both. You did both. I heard basketball and immediately looked over to your screen to see like what your eyes were. Like, I was sure you had basketball. <laughs> I did. I did have basketball, the dream team. I woke up early and watched those games at like 7 a.m. <laughs> for this past Olympics because I love watching Kevin Durant play basketball so fucking much. Oh my God. Don't get me started on KD. I love him. I also love how petty he is. It's the best. Okay. So my defense is have you ever wanted to go to a zoo but you're like this is too humane <laughs> like have you ever been to a zoo and you're like this is really fucked up that they're keeping all these animals in here and you're like I wish I could feel better about this well just so you know because of the Olympics that's not the worst zoo that's ever existed there's actually been a much worse zoo in the past so you shouldn't feel too, too guilty for watching these animals in captivity because someone once had a human zoo and you didn't go to that. So you, how bad of a human being can you be when that's like what you're comparing zoos against? So if you want to make a zoo look better, just remind people that we had a human zoo in 1904, which is one of the most fucked up things I have ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> really good point. I think for me, I want to talk about the uh, Winter Olympics because if you're anything like me, you fucking love sliding. <laughs> you could not be more into it. It's every day you're waking up and thinking, God, I wish there was a way for me to slide. You can't run fast enough to escape the horrific racism all around you. That is what is used as the backbone of these Olympic events. The only chance you have 
to escape these horrors is to maybe one day slide fast enough. And thanks to the Winter Olympics, they are creating both the escape and the monster you need to escape from. The cure to racism is less friction. <laughs> Andrew, your advice, and I want to make sure that I'm getting this right, is basically the Goo Goo Doll song, So Why Don't You Slide? I don't know the other lyrics, but if at any point they mentioned the Winter Olympics, then yeah, they fucking nailed it. That's it. Boom. That should be the official anthem for the Winter Olympics. <laughs> Every Winter Olympic event should start with, would you wake up in my hair? Thanks for the sun. Give you anything. He won't in. That should be every Olympics beginning. Can I just say I did not know what song you meant, and then as soon as you did that, I instantly knew. Like, it's one of those songs that was definitely played in the grocery store, and I was like, I know this one, but I could not tell you. So why don't you slide? <laughs> well, I mean, I think that about covers it. I feel like we presented some really good solutions here. So we've got the history of the Olympics, personal experience with it, where it went wrong, which was basically everywhere all the time. And then some pretty creative in their defenses. I think we about got it. Elsie Howe, thank you so much for coming on today. Thanks for having me, guys. It's been a pleasure. Check out No Olympics LA on Instagram. Yeah, like follow them and stuff because they're doing a lot of like cool posts and work to try to stop as much displacement and things like that as possible as the city of LA changes. Oh, that's fantastic. Definitely. There are really good organizations that are working to, in general, help the unhoused population in LA because they have so much to fight, fight against. They, they really have been some of the front rows of the country trying to work against it. And uh, also, if you're in Chicago on Tuesday nights, please go check out Elsie at Best Night Ever at Lincoln Lodge. It is an absolutely fantastic show. I've been locked up with COVID. I can't wait to get back to it again. And hopefully I'll be able to come see you there soon. So Elsie, uh, thank you for being here, guys. Thank you for listening. If you enjoy this, please subscribe. Give us five stars. It helps out so much. We also have a Patreon down in the show notes. It helps to keep the show going. We'll be back next week. We hope to see you then. When? I'll see you next week. Bye. 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 